Shut up, buddy. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, good morning, Grace Five Church. How are y'all doing? Doing good? My name is Stephen. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Grace Bible Church, and I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you this morning. Um, and so what I'm gonna ask as I'm setting up this, I don't know what this is, as like a, a dolphin, someone said it was a shark, um, as I'm setting it up, and now you're all real curious as to why it's up here. Um, I'm gonna pray, so if you'll join me in prayer, then we'll jump into what we have uh, to talk about today. Father God, thank you so much for this day, and thank you so much for your goodness to us, Lord. Our prayer is one of simplicity. Speak to us. We're opening your word. We know your spirit is powerful. And we are asking and inviting your spirit to do work in our hearts. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we, believe it or not, began studying Ecclesiastes on January 1st, the first day of January of this year, 2023. And we have been in the book of Ecclesiastes now, this will be our 12th week. And so some of you probably are like, wow, I didn't, oh yeah, it's been that long. Now if you will recall, at the very beginning of Ecclesiastes, the very first two verses in the book, it says this, this is Ecclesiastes 1, 1 and 2. The words of the teacher, Son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. In fact, the word meaningless in Ecclesiastes is used 38 different times. And all 38 are attempts for Solomon to poke at the idea that life and point out the idea that life can feel meaningless. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but on January 1st, uh, Carrie used an illustration in here with many of you using bubbles. Everybody got a bubble, and you can go ahead and show the picture of the bubble. Um, We all received bubbles, and we blew bubbles during service. And Pastor Carrie told us that the word meaningless in the Hebrew language is essentially the idea of a bubble that's popped and that all that's left to show for it is this filmy residue. And so when Solomon says life is meaningless, he is trying to communicate this idea that life is like a bubble. And Solomon uses a large portion of Ecclesiastes to point this out. And again, I just, I just, you just get this visual of, of every time one of these bubbles is popped or every time I pop one of these bubbles, that's life. And, and, and Solomon throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is begging the question, does life really matter? I mean, if this is it, this is all there is to life, just appear for a short while, then vanish then is life really worth living? And this morning I wanna answer this question by thinking about bubbles and their creator. So even though soap, and I'm gonna turn this off, so I, I'll turn it back on later, I promise. 
even though soap dates back to the ancient times, right? It's been around for a long time. Kids' bubbles, like the ones poured into this little shark thing, they were invented and manufactured by Europeans in the 16th century. In fact, I have a picture of some kids playing with bubbles, and it's a grainy picture, so you're gonna have to look real carefully. But they used to blow bubbles with a straw. And if you were to ask the manufacturer, why did you make bubbles? Why are you manufacturing bubbles? They would tell you the reason is because we want to bring joy to people and especially little kids. So I have this video of my kids playing with bubbles. They, it just brings you joy, right? It, 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 it's just fun. It's fun to play with bubbles. And that is the reason the creators of bubbles made bubbles. They were made and invented to bring joy and to bring fun. But I want you to think about this for a second. What if for fear of bubbles being popped, we never put them in a bubble machine? It's like, well, because the bubble might be popped, I'm going to Avoid putting the bubbles in a bubble machine. What if for fear of the bubbles being popped, we never took out the bubble wand and actually blew bubbles? It'd be an absolute waste. That's what bubbles are created for. That's why bubbles are made. They're not made to sit in rooms on shelves they're not made to sit at stores, being weighted, like being just sitting there on shelves in inventory. Bubbles were created to bring joy to little kids. And let's be honest, even we, we get giddy when we see bubbles. Y'all, y'all's excitement level went up just a little bit when I turned this on. I saw it. I saw it. Now, I want you to apply this same type of thinking to life. Because even if life is like a bubble, and even though for 10 chapters, Solomon has been poking at life, prodding it, just like my kids in the video are poking at the bubbles, just like that, even though that's what Solomon has been doing, trying to jab us with the question, is life worth living, and maybe you've asked that question yourself, even though that's all going on, he goes to the creator of life to get the answer. Again, just like bubbles were created for kids' enjoyment, God has a purpose for life, and Solomon, in the end of Ecclesiastes, looks to the creator And he asks the question, is life worth living? And he looks for the answer in God. And this is how the book ends. So we're gonna go to the very end. We're gonna kind of be hopping around a little today. But notice this, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. He says this, Solomon says this. Now, all has been heard. There is the conclusion of the matter. This is is it. Here's the solution. This, this answers the question, does life have meaning? Yes, it does. What is the meaning of life? To fear God and to keep his commandments, for this is the duty, this is the role, this is the purpose, right? You could change that word duty. This is the reason for all of mankind is to fear God and keep his commandments, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including the hidden things, whether good or evil. Again, he tells us the purpose of life 
is to fear God and just keep his commandments. It's almost like if I were to go onto the back of the bubble, the bubbles, and read the directions. There's your purpose. This is the purpose for bubbles. Take them out, blow air through them, and watch them and enjoy. God is saying, I, al- I have also given purpose to that which I have created, and the purpose is this, to fear God and to keep his commandments. And he says, living like this gives meaning to life. And essentially, he's saying life is meaningful when it's lived with our creator in mind. Life has purpose when it's lived with our creator in mind. And so today, as we work through the verses leading up to the final verses that we just read a second ago, verses 13 and 14, we're going to be looking at all the reasons, all of the reasons why we should live with God on our mind. Why we should live with the creator on our mind. So the first is this. When we live with the creator in mind, we can take risks. We can take risks. Look with me at chapter 11, verses one through six. It says this. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you know, the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning and at evening. Let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. So Paul, I mean Solomon, he points out these two examples of taking risks. And the first, he talks about this merchant who is shipping grain out on these business transactions, whether it's to trade to other countries for other resources. And, and he says he sends out six or seven or eight ships at a time. Why? Because there is a reward that is possible for taking risks. Another example, he talks about a farmer who sows seeds on the ground and is busy working day and night. And he's saying, listen, these people, they have some options. They are faced with a choice. They can either risk the elements, right? Because if you send a ship out, who knows what storm might destroy that ship? Or, or if you lay your crops out, you, 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 you cast your seed out, you don't know if a, 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 a storm will come and destroy that which you have sown. And he's saying they have two options. They can take risks or they can sit on their hands. They can pull out the bubble wand and blow or they can keep the solution in the container. And Solomon says, life, when it's lived with your cre- the creator on your mind, you can take risks. Because people know that if they don't take risks, they will lose altogether. And, get, and I understand this. Like the world, it can be a nasty place. You live in the world long enough. You see enough bad things happen. You see enough evil things happen. But here's the thing. Deep down inside, I believe that all people, all people, in their heart of hearts, believe that this world, in this world, they can find good 
if they will risk it, if they will look for it, if they will take the necessary risks, if they will blow their bubble wand. That's why we can take general risks. We can take general risks. Now, let me unpack this. We take general risks because we believe good is out there, or dare I say, we believe, even, even unbelievers, and I'll unpack this here in a second, believe that God is out there. A good God is out there. If you look at Romans 1.19, it says this, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. See, Paul wrote these words in Romans chapter one, verse 19, and he, he was essentially saying, look, all people on some level believe in God. Now, I know what you think. Well, what, what about atheists? Atheists don't believe in God. Even atheists who would never admit they believe in God, they still live in the world that God created. And they still operate in the, the, the world that God created and thus they are living off the rules that God created, right? Like they are still recipients of God's goodness. The Bible teaches that God causes the, the rain to fall on both the righteous and the unrighteous, the good and the evil. We still live in the world that God created. And so what happens is we'll say, why, do, why don't people believe in God then? Well, what they do, Romans, according to Romans, is they suppress the truth about God in their unrighteousness. That is to say, we take what we know about God and we bury it because we're rebellious. That's what humans do. We bury the truth about God. But the truth of the matter is we still take risks because we live in a world that a good God created and we know that the world rewards those who take risks. Do you, did you know that one of the laws that God created, and I'm not talking about rules to follow, I'm talking about the law of reaping and sowing. Reaping and sowing, or excuse me, backwards, sowing and reaping. What you sow, you reap. I mean, just think, you can apply this to so many different areas of life. If you invest your money and you save, guess what? You get return. If you don't, you won't. Natural rule, natural rule. If you plant seeds, you get crops, generally speaking. If you don't, you don't get crops. If you eat healthy things, you have healthy output. If you don't, you don't have healthy output. Sowing and reaping is a law that all people live with because God invented it and made it that way. And so the world, whether Christian or unchristian, they take risks. They take risks. But people who believe in God take even bigger risks. People who believe in God take even bigger risks. They take faith risks. They take faith risks. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says this, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This really only applies to people of faith. Because even like a minute ago I said, everybody probably in the world takes some general risks. I mean, a general risk is getting out of bed in the morning. I mean, think about it. 
You assume that by getting out of bed in the morning, that's better than just staying there. You go to work, why? Because you assume that by doing so, you will, you'll earn a living. So everybody takes general risks, but people who have God on their mind, people who are living according to the purpose for which God has made them, they take faith risks. And what this verse is saying is that people who take faith risks, literally everything that they do is a win. Even if they experience some losses. So let me see if I can unpack this for you. So right now, it's March Madness. And I know not everybody watch, I think I might get arrested for using the phrase March Madness without a sponsorship, so apologize, YouTube. But right now, it's March Madness, and everybody, not everybody watches March Madness, but there are these teams, was it 64 teams put in a bracket, they play against each other. Now, during every single one of the March Madness games, there are some, there, there's some drama. There are teams that will go on scoring runs, that is to say they score multiple points in a row and some teams will get down by many points, sometimes double digits. You might have a player during the game, your star player, they commit so many fouls that they foul out of the game. You might even have a player lose, um, you might lose a player to an injury, they get hurt during the middle of the game. But here's the thing, at the end of the game, once the buzzer blows in the second half when it's over, the team with the most points wins. And what this verse is saying about people who live with God on their mind, people who take risks for the kingdom of God, is that no matter what you do, even as you're doing it in faith and you're trying to exercise what God has called you to do, as you do that, even if you experience losses in between the two buzzers, there is literally no way in the world that you come out on the other side of it when the final buzzer, buzzer blows with a loss. You will win. You will win if you take risks. And so for us as Christians, when we're talking about what does it look like for us to take out our bubbles and blow them? What does it look like for us to take faith risk? Well, honestly, what does it look like? It looks like risking your time to serve the Lord. It looks like risking your finances to support the mission of God. It looks like risking your reputation to share the gospel with somebody. It's like, well, what if they think weird, that I'm weird? You can't lose. Do you understand that? If you open your mouth and in sincerity with heart for God and love for God, you open up your mouth and you share the gospel. Even if you're jumbling over your words, even if you're not the most articulate person in the world, even if you don't have all of the answers, God says, you can't lose. You can't lose. People of faith take risks. People of faith, faith take risks. Also, when you live with the creator in mind, you can rejoice. You can rejoice. Verses 11, or chapter 11, verses seven through nine says this, light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However, many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many, there will be many. Everything comes, everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. 
So what is Solomon saying here? He's telling us, hey, listen, you really, you, you really need to learn to enjoy life. And he points out, death is approaching, death is approaching, and since we live in this good world that God created for our enjoyment, even though death is coming, we really ought to learn to live a little bit. We need to learn to loosen up, to live a little bit. Now, I know what, I know what some people would say about this. They'd say, well, isn't that, just, isn't that just YOLO? Like, you only live once, so live it up. Right, because that's, that's almost what it sounds like. Solomon's like, enjoy the days of your youth. Follow your heart wherever it takes you. Do whatever your eyes see, right? So we could say, YOLO, baby, we're only living once, so we're gonna live it up. But actually what he's saying here is YALF, YALF. So I stole this from my brother, my brother Luke. This is his acronym, and it's this. This is what YALF stands for. You actually live forever, you actually live forever. So people be rolling around saying, YOLO, baby. He says, YALF, buddy. What, what, what's YALF? You actually live forever. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, he, that is God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He also has set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This verse alludes to the fact, the reason God has set eternity into people's hearts is get this, every single person, according to God, according to the scripture, if you, if you believe what God teaches in the scripture, every single person lives forever. Every person. And what you do during your life, how you utilize your bubbles, how you live your life, the risks you take, the things you do, every single one of those things determines your destination. And, and here's, the, here's what Jesus taught us. There's two ways to live. There's, there's living in faith, that is faith in Jesus, and living in a way that you glorify him, and then there's living in rebellion. If you live a life of faith, your eternity is great, it is secure, you're invited into God's presence to enjoy his pleasures forevermore. If you live in rebellion, the opposite is true. You do not spend eternity with God. You spend eternity with, in separation from God. Partly because it's your choice. God gives you the option. It's not like he's kicking you out. You're saying no. Door's open, invite's there. Hey, God's saying, I'm giving you this opportunity to live life with meaning, with purpose. If you reject it, the choice is yours. We actually live forever. But the best way to enjoy life in this world is to live with gratitude for the one who receives credit for all the good in your life, and that is God. That's why we say when you live with the creator on your mind, you can rejoice. Solomon goes on to say when you live with our creator in mind, when we do that, we can relax. We can relax. It goes on to say in verse 10, so then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. So what Solomon is saying here is, look, you can live your entire life worrying. You can live your entire life bickering, quarreling. You can live your life with rage, 
with bitterness. You can live your entire life biting your fingernails. You can do that. That's an option. But what he would want us to do is to relax. He wants us to relax. My, my wife says phrases like these. They're fun. They rhyme. They're meaningful. They're impactful. She'll say things like, Stephen, you're too blessed to be stressed. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. I have a lot of blessings. I shouldn't be stressing out. Hey, Stephen, you are too anointed to be disappointed. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah. And, and guess what? That, some people are like, oh, that's because you're a pastor. You're anointed because you're a pastor. No, guess what? If you believe in Jesus, you are anointed by the Holy Spirit. You are a priest. You are a king. You are royalty. God has anointed you in Christ. So you're too anointed to be disappointed. You are too beloved by God to be bitter. Right? So we, we need to learn to relax. And the best way to relax is to look to our creator. To look to our creator. I meet people all the time. They say, hey, oh man, Pastor Stephen, I just want to know what God's will for my life is, right? You know, there are two places in scripture that God says specifically, this is my will for your life. One of them is that you give thanks in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know what I've learned? It's a lot more relaxing to give thanks than it is to complain. It's way more relaxing. Philippians 4, 6 says this, it's so amazing. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayers and petitions with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Like, you know how exhausting worrying is? You know why I know how exhausting it is? Because I worry. But what I have learned is when I'm worrying, if I pray, if I go to God and say, God, I am stressed out of my mind. This is stressing me out. That God's spirit literally puts peace in my heart. And I can relax. I'm like, wow. You ever have one of those days where it's like, man, everything is going wrong. The day is just stressful from start to finish. Maybe you wake up late and you can't go through your morning routine like you want to. Just a few simple moments of prayer can change it like that. But you know what we do? Because I know I do this all the time. We're too stubborn to stop. We're too busy to stop. We, we think, I don't have time. If we would just pretend like we're going to the bathroom... I gotta use the restroom real quick and go find a quiet place and just pray for two minutes. God could change our hearts and allow us to relax. The next reason for minding God relates also to our ability to relax and it's this. When we remember God, when we are mindful of him, we can have certainty. We can have certainty. Chapter 12, verses nine through 12 says this. Solomon's writing about words that he wrote. Not only was the teacher wise, he's talking about himself, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. 
be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Now, I know that's kind of a, like a proverbial comment. The phrase I want us to hang on, I'm a pun guy, is that <laughs> wisdom can be like a nail. Did you catch that? It's not that funny. Wisdom can be like a nail that holds all things together in your life. So I have a picture I wanna show you. This is of Rock the Desert. Now, um, Rock the Desert is like a live music festival that takes place in Ohio, only it's in a desert. And I'm almost certain that they photoshopped the grass in because every year that I, this is a picture of Rock the Desert online, every year that I've gone, I don't remember any grass, okay? So I'm just gonna go ahead and say, but, but essentially 30 plus bands, Christian bands like Skillet and Toby Mac and all these headliners come together at these, this festival in Odessa, Texas, in the desert, in August. Genius, so smart. So, so they, they do this in August, they bring, and people come from all over Texas to sweat for hours in the sun listening to bands. And as you can see, there's a picture, you can see all these tents, and they're, they're not because it rains, okay? It's for shade. You're, just, you're not getting out of the rain, you're getting out of the rays, okay? And people will set these tents up. But here's the thing about West Texas. The stop, if you ever stop at a stoplight in West Texas, you know in Ohio, stoplights hang down, like wire stoplight. In Odessa, there is none of that. Never, nowhere. Why? Because it would blow away. It would, it would blow away. The stoplights in Odessa are sideways, every single one of them. And, and they're cemented into like steel beams. So they have a, it's like a steel beam and then a steel beam going this way and your stoplight's like this. So green, uh, you're on the other side, green, whatever. You know, we don't, you get what I'm saying. I'm really not uh, coordinated, okay? But it blows, the wind blows. And so every year at Rock the Desert, people would have tents blowing away like a Texas tumbleweed looking to ruin your life, okay? You just see a, you just go out to the desert and you're just hanging out in a rock concert and all of a sudden a tent is like flying at you. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm gonna die. So you, you move out of the way best you can to survive. But what I've learned is smart people that go to Rock the Desert and that are familiar with it, they bring like things to anchor down the tent. Okay, when it comes to anchors though, not all anchors are created equal, okay? And wisdom is the same way. All wisdom is not anchored down with, it doesn't anchor down our certainty with the same equality, right? And so I kinda wanna use this illustration to explain what I think Solomon is talking about here. You see, there is conventional wisdom, that is, that, that, that's like the little hand spike you can push down. It doesn't work at Rock the Desert. It will not hold your tent down. It will. It'll blow, your tent will blow away. So you, there's that, and it's like the hand-driven tent. And what that looks like is like, conventional wisdom is like learning how to keep a calendar. Like, it's gonna help you. It helps to know how to keep a calendar. Eating healthy, brushing your teeth, treating other people kindly. This is conventional wisdom. All people should learn conventional wisdom. But here's what conventional wisdom will not do for you in your life. It will not hold down your life. You can live with conventional wisdom and your life still be an absolute wreck. So that's the first option. The second option, 
We'll call that general biblical wisdom. It's like when you take a hammer and you hit a little hammer or, a, or like one of those rubber mallets and you just hammer one of these kinds of spikes into the ground. And again, I've seen these things fail at Rock the Desert. They have. They just, it still can blow away, right? Because again, it's not grass there, okay? It's like dirt. It just gets, someone trips on it and then it blows away still. And, and general biblical wisdom is, is, is biblical. There is wisdom in God's word. There's wisdom in God's word that people can learn, like in the book of Proverbs, even, dare I say, in the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been going through Ecclesiastes. You can read those verses and learn principles of wisdom from God's word that can help your life. Things like, hey, did you know that you can save a lot of money up and then still your family can still end up broke? So be wise, right? So there's all, these, there's all this general biblical wisdom. And again, the, this is better than conventional wisdom, but it still will not necessarily keep us standing on our feet when life throws its hardest punches. What we need is spirit-enlightened biblical wisdom. And that's this next picture. Those things you hammer down with a sledgehammer. I've never seen one of those come up at Rock the Desert, Okay. In fact, I like took out my shin on one and was injured pretty badly. Um, th- this kind of wisdom is the type of stuff that you can anchor your entire life with. Your entire life can be anchored with these kinds of truths. Things like the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That is a tent stake that has sledgehammered in to your life. That will keep you standing. When the hardest winds of life blow, you will have grounding because you know the Jesus of the Bible that died for you, that was buried, that rose again and defeated death and sin for you. Truths like God's love for us are like these giant tent stakes hammered in the ground. They will keep you anchored. They will keep you rooted in your actual identity, your identity as a child of God, your identity as someone that is loved by God. That is what you can hang your life on. Truths like God's love for you. Truths like God's power that that he gives you through his spirit. God's given you the Holy Spirit. You have power residing inside you. You have the living God that does miracles, that has changed people's lives, dwelling and living inside you. Those are examples of spirit-enlightened biblical truths that will anchor your life. And Solomon, again, at the very end of the book, gives us one of these truths, and it's this. When we remember God, when we remember God, then everything matters. Literally, everything matters. Again, we've already read the verse, so I won't read it again, but if you look at the end, it's kind of a summary. Again, the the purpose of life is to, to fear God and to keep his commandments. Why? Because every single thing that you do, every single thing that you do, the things that are seen, the things that are not seen, Every one of those things, God sees, and we will have to give an account for them. 
Every single thing in your life matters when God is on your mind. I have a verse, my girls and I say it every day when I take them to school. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, I don't even need to look at it. Whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, you do all of it to the glory of God. What that verse means is eating and drinking are some of the most minute, unthought through things you do all day. Everybody, for the most part, whether, unless they're fasting for some season, every person eats and drinks every day. And honestly, you don't have to give much thought for it to happen. It just does. In fact, sometimes I wish I gave more thought when it is happening. I don't know if you follow what I'm saying. But what he's saying is everything, even the smallest details of your life, like eating and drinking, or whatever you do, all of it is to be done for the glory of God. That is the meaning of life. You exist, you walk on this earth to glorify and to please God. That's why you were made. And any other life aside from that is like having bubbles and never blowing them. You're not living for the purpose you were created for if you don't live out the verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. So doing anything and everything for the glory of God is your purpose. So our challenge is let's let the bubbles fly. Let's take the risks. Let's rejoice. Let's be certain that our entire life can be one giant, awesome bubble for the glory of God. I thought about bringing in like a life-size bubble. I couldn't figure it out. I'm just saying. Now, in order to close today, we have to backtrack for just a second. It won't take long at all. Because I know if you were tracking along in your Bible, you're like, dude, Stephen, you skipped a lot of verses. You just hopped right over them. We were in chapter 11. All of a sudden, we're at the end of chapter 12. What happened there? In the verses that we skip today that we'll look at just for a second here, Solomon shifts away from the why it's important to mind your creator and he spends a moment unpacking the when it's important to mind your creator. When is it time to mind your creator? And the reason he's pushing back against it is because even as I'm sitting here telling you that life the way that God intends it is supposed to be lived according to his purpose for us, right? To glorify him in all we do. Even as I sit here and tell you that, even as I listen to it myself and think about it myself, the temptation is for me to say, I'll do it later. I wanna do it later. I can hold off, I can put this purpose that God has for me on layaway for us older people and then on an Amazon wish list for us younger people. I can wait, I can wait. And what Solomon says in these next few verses is this. When should we be mindful of our creator? The first is while we are young. While we are young. I don't know, you know what I've learned about myself as I've aged? I still feel young. I know you might be looking at me, you are young. <laughs> Some of you are like, you are young. But I've been told that even when you get older, you still feel young. 
and you think you're like, you're like in a, a 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 year old body, but you have like the 30 year old mind, okay? So if you look though at verses 12, or chapter 12, verses one through five, and we're gonna fly through these, it says this, remember the creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the, keeper of the house, uh, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease, those are your teeth, when they stop working, when your teeth stop working, because there are a few of them, <laughs> and those looking through the windows grow dim, your eyes start failing. When the door to the street, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, they can't hear anymore. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and the desire is no longer stirred, when you're older, you lose your energy. Then people go to their eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Psalm is saying, listen, start doing your purpose while you're young. Here's the thing I've learned. Life hardens us. The longer we put off living out our purpose, the more likely we won't. Life hardens us. Now, am I saying that you can't come to faith in Christ after a certain point in age? Absolutely not true. It's just harder. It's just harder. You know, I think statistics are people who are, uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's like a 95% of them do it before the age of 18. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. The time is now. If you're sitting in here like, Stephen, I haven't done that yet, and I'm like on the precipice, I'm on the edge trying to decide whether I wanna trust what you're saying or not, take the leap. Jump. Trust in God. Trust in Jesus. Now is your time, not later. Don't put it on layaway. Don't put it on the Amazon wish list. Do it right now. And then he goes on to say, look, if you're not gonna do it when you're young, at least, at least do it while you're breathing. At least do it while you're breathing. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel is broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to the God who gave it to him. And then, and then Solomon says, and he, he wraps up this section, I believe he's saying, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And what he's trying to say is, look, if you go your whole life and you never learn to mind Jesus and you never learn to trust in him and you never learn to, create, to, to mind who your creator is, your life was a joke. It was meaningless, and I don't mean that as an insult. So don't hear me saying that. I'm trying to tell you the creator of the universe, the God that loves you, the God that cares about you, is there waiting for you, not trying to force you and saying, come to me. Don't resist, because that's what I made you for. Don't be a, a bottle of bubbles that just sits on a shelf. What a waste. What a waste. So in conclusion, when does he want us to mind our creator? Right now. Right now. No more putting it off. No more putting it off. We're gonna pray. 
And then Jason is gonna come and he's going to conclude our service today. But before we do, would you join me in prayer? Jesus, I'm so grateful, so incredibly grateful that you give such clarity to us about what life is actually about. Lord, you have made it possible for us to know our purpose without all sorts of guessing. And for that, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. And Jesus, what I wanna ask right now, I'm praying for that person in this room or that person listening online that has not surrendered to you, that has not asked you to be in their life. My prayers, they cry out to you. Even right now as I'm praying, they would cry out to you and simply say, God, I trust you. God, I believe in you. And my prayer is also for those individuals who've done that, they've trusted in you, they've asked you to save them, to be in their life, to be their Lord, to be their Savior. But perhaps they've started living life without intentionality. They've made their life more about themselves. All of us do it. It's so easy to fall into that trap. But I pray, Lord, that today, right now, they would recalibrate their heart and say, God, my purpose is to do what pleases you. That's what I wanna do. So I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.